brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, four past nine on your, what day is it? Man, it's uh, Tuesday morning. Tuesday morning here on SENZ. Mornings with Ian Smith, Ricardo Ball in for Smithy, who is currently uh, on secondment to Fox Sports in Australia for their West Indies Test Series. Uh, show brought to you by Brandt, your local John Deere equipment dealer. Coming up on the show, Martin Gillingham joins us shortly. Uh, we are going to talk rugby with him. And is Eddie Jones' time up with England? Will they make a change before the World Cup? We'll take your calls after 9.30 as well. Remember the caller of the month here on SENZ will win themselves an Oklahoma Joe's Blackjack Charcoal Kettle Grill thanks to Aber Living. We'll have a multi before 10 as well. After 10 o'clock, we're rejigging things a little bit. We're going to kick off with the panel with Christina Eddy and Patrick McKendry. Uh, we'll also have MJ Hurley out of the US uh, talking the NFL after week 12. Uh, well, I didn't wrap up yesterday. We've still got one game today. And then after 11, Brian Schiretta from uh, the US as well, American football writer, uh, talking the FIFA World Cup with the US against Iran tomorrow and boy that's blown up after the US uh, official social media account posted the Iranian flag without the Islamic symbol uh, as basically tr- they're, they're passing it off as that they are trying to support uh, the Iranian people who are protesting against the regime over there. That has added a bit of flavour, shall we say, to tomorrow's games. We'll talk all of that on the show here on SENZ. And uh, time now to cross to the UK and catch up with Martin Gilliam, a rugby commentator out of the UK. G'day, Martin. How are you? I'm not so bad, actually. It's all happening at this end with uh, with Eddie Jones and England failing miserably. Well, this, um, it's, it's got to be said, uh, Martin, uh, you know, from a New Zealand rugby point of view, I don't think there is anything better than uh, an England team losing with an Australian in charge. Well, apart from the fact, I do... I do rather feel that maybe it wasn't just um, New Zealand perhaps being halfway up the steps to their uh, jumbo jet back to Auckland last week, that maybe there was a great conspiracy going, that maybe the All Blacks and Ian Foster and his mates thought that keeping Eddie Jones in a job might be the best chance of New Zealand winning the World Cup next year, which is why they utterly imploded or apparently imploded in the last 10 minutes just over a week ago. But um, that, of course, is entirely a conspiracy theory, which I'm very happy to peddle. Um, <laughs> but, but if, I mean, if we look back on it, there were two bright spots for England during uh, the Autumn Nation series, you know, the four test matches they played over the course of the last four weekends. One was the last 10 minutes against the All Blacks, and the other was, a decent 80-minute performance against a very under-par Japan uh, the previous week. But, you know, this is an England side that won one test match in four weekends at home. And it's um, for, a, for a coach who has said more than once that he wants to make England the best and is committed to doing that. Well, I mean, it's quite risible. What's the? Uh, I've seen Sir Clive Woodward saying, you know, basically, if he, if they don't beat Scotland in the Calcutta Cup, um, that they, you know, they should just pull the pull the pin and and sack Eddie Jones. Is is that basically the feeling amongst England rugby fans and the England media over there? 
No, I think that the feeling now is that he shouldn't even get to the Calcutta Cup. I, I do think that if Eddie Jones gets beyond Christmas, then he will be there for the duration. But let me give you a, a sense. I mean, a headline that is online that you better find yourselves now if you look for it on the Times, um, a story published in the last hour or so. This is on the website. Jones' future as England coach hanging in balance. Now, uh, that's the first time we've seen headlines like that. The one thing that has been consistent um, throughout the course of you know the last seven years since Eddie Jones took the job, and there have been times of trouble before, is that he has had the complete and absolute support of the men to whom he reports to. Now, Bill Sweeney, the chief executive of uh, the Rugby Football Union, issued a statement yesterday which acknowledged that results are not up to scratch, you know, no great headline there. Also, that there will be a panel reviewing the performance over the Autumn Nation series. And again, nothing unique in that. That tends to be the line that's peddled whenever England perform poorly. But I think an important issue here is, and, and, and this is where the politics of, of rugby and the politics of being in a job like that, I think, come into play is that last week Bill Sweeney was dragged in front of a panel of MPs at, um, in Parliament in Whitehall in Westminster. Uh, and this was over the, the collapse of two, two of our premiership clubs, Wasps mm. um, and Worcester. And Sweeney was accused by this panel of MPs who may or may not have been grandstanding in the, the classic fashion of MPs he was accused of being asleep at the job and was asked, should you be considering your position? So Sweeney himself, going into this weekend, was feeling, I think, pretty fragile in his job. And now the failure of, of England this weekend and Jones' apparently quite arrogant attitude, he may well have um, said, I acknowledge and accept all responsibility, but... That sounds rather like a platitude when virtually in the same breath he tells the media who are gathering, I don't care what anybody else thinks. Um, now, I think with all this stuff having gone on in, in the background, Sweeney has an opportunity here to make a populist decision here. And the atmosphere at uh, Twickenham, and I've been there for the last four weekends, um, apart from that 10-minute period when England came back against the All Blacks, it has been, it's been like a morgue. And people were walking out of Twickenham five minutes before the end on Saturday night. Now, that's the behaviour of a football crowd who have finally run out of patience with their manager. England were booed off the pitch. Now... England rugby fans are as one-eyed as any rugby fan. And one thing that continues to sort of sometimes bewilder me is when results are not going well, that England fans keep on flocking in, paying huge numbers to go and watch their team. And it's not only the price of tickets, it's getting there. It's getting home. It's staying overnight. It's eating at the ground. Going to watch England play is an expensive business. And finally, I think over the course of the last four weeks, England fans have looked at it and thought, hey, I'm not sure we want to come back. 
And I think Bill Sweeney, with that personal pressure, these feelings because of the grilling that he got by MPs last week, has been given almost a platform now from which to be seen to make a positive decision. And it means for the first time there is, I think, a real chance that Eddie Jones will not be in the job by Christmas. I'm not saying he won't be, but I'm saying that there's a lot of things going on which mean it is now a very serious possibility. The question begs then, if not Eddie Jones, who? I know there's been a lot of talk over this part uh, of the world that Warren Gatlin could get a release from the Chiefs uh, to go and coach Wales and replace Wayne Pivak, but it wasn't that long ago there was talk about Gatlin going to England after the Lions. I mean, is he an option, or do you think Scott Robertson is the option, or is there someone else uh, in the UK that they might look to? Well, I mean, let's look here. Warren Gatlin has always said that, you know, you would feel that he was um, turning his back, not particularly on New Zealand, but rather more Wales if he went to England. And um, frankly, if he went to take over England, he would be facing Wales uh, in the Six Nations in one of those five games that all the sides in Europe, seriously competitive games that they have remaining now before they get to the World Cup. So Gatlin, I think, would be an obvious fit, but... There is that big question mark, would he turn his back on Wales, who he still feels a strong bond with? Scott Robertson, my sense with Scott Robertson, and there was a quote that, yes, he would be interested in um, in coming to work for England, but it would be very much second in his mind behind the All Blacks. And um, you perhaps can judge better than I, maybe in his mind, um, he will perhaps feel that uh, New Zealand is where his priority is and he might wish to wait another few months, maybe another 12 months before that job comes. Steve Borthwick is the most obvious um, English option between you and me, my heart would sink. Um, He's done a superb job at Leicester, or at least did last season, taking them from nowhere to the Premiership title. Things haven't gone as well this season, but I feel they need a bit of international now. A name that has been floated by a couple of people over the course of the last 24 hours, is another New Zealander, Wayne Smith. Mm. Um, and again, when we think about where England rugby are now, less than 12 months to World Cup, well, who turned the Black Ferns around in a matter of months? Wayne Smith. And Wayne Smith is somebody who has always been respected in this part of the world. So, so maybe Wayne Smith is an option if maybe he's listening. Um, there's, he's certainly got one or two, one or two fans here. Um, Ronan Agaris, another name has been mentioned, currently at uh, La Rochelle in France. Um, had a brilliant time last season with La Rochelle, took them to the European title. He's been seen maybe Scott Robertson, and you'd know yourself that mm. those two work together in in, um, in Canterbury with the Crusaders. So... So there, there are options. There is no doubt there are options, quite whether all those people are interested. Um, they're all affordable, because let's face it, England uh, rugby has got deeper pockets than um, than any of the uh, the potential nations. And there are some big names, I think, lining up who would, who would take the job. But let's see. Let's see. And I, and I, I do work. They're talking about a fortnight over which they're going to have this panel and discuss the future of Eddie Jones. 
I do rather think that maybe during those two weeks there may be some feelers being put out elsewhere as well. Yeah, I just, that actually just reminded me of another story that I, I read about a year or so, 18 months ago that you might have more on given that your South African connections, but Rassi Erasmus doesn't currently have a head coaching job. Would he be a fit? <laughs> no. <laughs> Look, do, do you know, I'm, I'm, I mean, I've had my runs in in the past with Rassi Erasmus, and we're talking two decades ago. Um he is as mad as a bag of spiders. And he, from what I understand, uh, there are serious problems for Rassi off the pitch. Um, uh, you know, I think that there are one or two things going on away from rugby, which um, which all are a sort of matter of rumour and speculation. But, um, I, I, and he's always been a very emotional man. And I don't, um, I don't always think at the moment that he's necessary in the best place. Um, but I firmly believe um, that his achievement in winning the World Cup with South Africa in 2019, when you consider the unique challenges that uh, South Africa face um, with the not-so-distant history, was the single greatest achievement in rugby in coaching, um, a unique achievement and he is clearly a totemic figure among South African players, and we saw that performance against England at the weekend. And he may not have been there, but his presence was felt at Twickenham. And he may well be as mad as a bag of spiders, but he is a hugely inspirational and brilliant figure. But he ain't a fit for England. <laughs> okay. okay, I just had to put that out there. Had to put that out there, Martin. What, what about then? I, I look at the World Cup draw, and you've got Ireland, South Africa, France, and New Zealand all on one side of it. So only one of those teams is going to make the final. Um, on that front, you would have to say that things actually look all right for England. You just got to get past Wales and Aussie on your side, and you're pretty much there. Um, so have you got the players? Is this just down to has Eddie Jones lost the dressing room to use a football term? I think he has. Um, I mean, I haven't heard them, but I hear that other people are hearing there's a fair degree of disquiet. There's been one or two things in the newspapers. Um, I, I, I don't think he has as much support as he might do, certainly not universally, within, within the dressing room. And you talk about that draw for the, uh, with the World Cup. I mean, it clearly is weighted on one half of the draw. And my... Um, my correspondent in this respect is is Gillingham Jr., my 21-year-old son, who's done it all for me. And he put together a little plan of the way he thought it was going to go. And he, he is still predicting a South Africa-New Zealand final, which is possible. Okay. Which is possible. Is, all right. And, um, and he's, my son is quite a wise man. Um, you know, obviously picked that up from his father. Um, so... But 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 you're right in terms of there is a far more comfortable um, half of the draw, and there is no doubt that the quarterfinals, in many respects, are going to be the highlight of this World Cup because, uh, in my view, there are four teams that that, that can win it, um, and your one, South Africa, are another, Ireland are another, and France. Um, but I, I started to see something from New Zealand 
and, and, and I, I watched on television the game at Nelspreet, the, the first of the two test matches in, in South Africa. And I thought that was one of the most woeful All Blacks performances I've seen in my lifetime, to be honest. But I saw bits uh, a week ago Saturday at Twickenham, um, which suggested to me this is a New Zealand side who are going to come right. Mm. And um, and I think that rugby's two greatest rivals, I do feel that... Uh, I mean, France, I just cannot, I cannot back France to go through six weeks of a World Cup without something going horribly wrong, um, as wonderful as they are. Um, and I do just think that South Africa now, they have grown over the course of the the last month. They certainly have. Um, I mean, they've still got a place-kicking problem. I don't think they necessarily have a fly-half problem, but they have a place-kicking problem. And there are concerns, I think, about the well-being of Andre Pollard. So they have a, a place-kicking problem, but um, the, what we saw at the weekend may not have been spectacular, but we saw a thoroughly professional and very ruthless Springbok performance at, uh, at Twickenham. And I still feel that rugby's greatest rivals, and you know the two teams I'm talking about, I think there's a very fair chance that Gillingham Jr. is on the money. Yeah, all right. Well, Gillingham Jr. is obviously he's back to winner in uh, recent times with his Nottingham Forest team. So let's see if he can he can do it twice in two years. Well, they are three from bottom. That is true. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> Has he dragged you to many games? Have you have you been along to the city ground often? Um, I have been to the city ground once this season, um, but I um, I took out a membership at Manchester City. Not because I have any great love for Manchester City, but I felt it was the only way I was going to get a ticket. And I went to um, Manchester City a few weeks ago and watched them beat Forest 6-0. And Forest were utterly feckless. Um, but but, but the, there is just a suggestion that things are starting to possibly come right at the city ground. Um, and there is a slim chance that they will survive, I think. Still the odds against them, but um, one or two things have started to, to look up. An old sort of League Cup win at home against Tottenham, and then they sneak through a win against Crystal Palace. And, you know, one, and of course, there was this, the famous win at home to Liverpool. So, you know, things are starting to happen. Things are starting to happen. But, um, but yeah, there's still a bit of blind faith in that respect from, um, from Gillingham Jr. He's a far, I think, a far more pragmatic and objective judge of what's going to go on at the next World Cup than he is, I think, the, uh, the English Premier League at the moment. Good stuff, Martin. Thanks very much for your time, mate. Go well. It's a, uh, great to catch up with you, and we'll catch up with you again soon, eh? You too. Take Cheers, care. mate. Martin Gillingham there, out of the UK, English rugby commentator. It is 9.23 here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Thanks to Brandt, your local John Deere equipment supplier. It's 9.28 here on SCNZ Live uh, coverage of the World Cup at the moment. Portugal, through Cristiano Ronaldo, lead Uruguay by a goal to nil. There's about 20 minutes left in that one, and uh, there's a bit of feeling in this as well. It's uh, been a really good game. We'll keep you up to date with that result as it comes through and any uh, addition to the score. Actually, speaking of additions to the score, additions to uh, Stumped, the TAB uh, bonus bet that we have to give away, I managed to... uh, 
Managed to stump a couple of people in the last little while. We're up to $200. So today, stumped at 11.30 is worth a $200 TAB bonus bet. If you think you can uh, win that, then uh, good luck to you. That's going to be... Uh, it's, tell you what, we're, we're thinking we're going to try and get it to the end of the week, aren't we, Lokes? Oh, he's confident. Ricardo, you're very, very confident. I like the sound of this. Yeah. I mean, $200, so that means that you've you've stumped, what, one, like three, three. people in a row? Yeah. Not bad. And they've all been third uh, third question stumpings too. The last two, I've, I've got nothing right until the last. The highest that Smithy's ever got it up to is 350. So if you can get close to that, like that's incredible. Yeah. All right. So it's, it's, I, hopefully I can get to the end of the week, and then then whoever wins it on Friday's got a a fair a fair shout of making some coin back off that uh, bonus bet. That'll be that'll be the go. As I said the other day, it's a brave person to take you on in uh, FIFA World Cup, but. Bring it on, people! Bring it on! Oh well, mate, it's. I, I think that that. Uh, I, I think that we should just make all three categories FIFA World Cup for the duration <laughs> of the World Cup. That's what I. That's what I thought. What do you reckon? What do you reckon? We can, can we get you? Can you get behind that? Look, I'm not just going to pander to your uh, strengths the entire time. Why not? <laughs> What's wrong? What's wrong with you? Uh, we want right. people to win. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, now one of the things so I'll tell you who we want to win. We want the Black Sox to win, and um, the softball World Cup is going. Going on at the moment, and it hasn't been a good start. Um, got up three one over the Czechs day one, great, but then got hammered by the US seven zip the next day. And then yesterday we were leading the Argentinians, uh, only to lose eleven five. This is Mark Sorensen speaking post that. Those three outs in that last innings are always hard to get, um, and that I, I guess proved to be you know quite the critical moment. But you know the, I, we had. We had chances after that, you know, loaded bases, uh, none out, and they, you know, they made nice. Well, they made nice move to load the bases to create the opportunity, and you know, double play ball took a lot of life out. Um, gonna have to have a look at that uh, pick off on second, that call, because um, then Jerome gets a hit, which which would have won the game. So, um, you know, it's it's, it's uh, success is built on a lot of little moments. Yep. And, and the game was, was uh, won and lost on little moments. Yeah, won and lost on little moments. So, yeah, they, the, uh, the Black Sox were up uh, 5-3 in that and ended up losing at 11-5 against Argentina. So they're 1-2. and two. Uh, They've got to play Cuba and the Philippines in the next two days, and they really need to win both of those to make sure they make it through to the knockout stages. So all the pressure now on the Black Sox. It is 29 away from 10 o'clock. When we come back, we're taking your calls on 0800 150 811. We'll be talking rugby. We'll be talking FIFA World Cup. We can talk the softball World Cup, whatever you like. Get amongst it. 0800 150 811 after the latest in news and sport. Talkback time with Smithy. Call now 0800 26 away from 10 o'clock here on SCNZ. Yeah, time for your calls. You can call through on 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811. Caller of the month will win themselves an Oklahoma Joe's Black Jack Charcoal Kettle Grill thanks to Able Living. So give us a bell. It's interesting to hear from Martin Gillingham. UK rugby commentator, he called the All Blacks versus England and the Springboks versus England. Uh, he doesn't rate England as a chance at the World Cup at all um, and thinks there's a very definite uh, possibility 
Eddie Jones won't be coaching England after Christmas. Uh, your thoughts on that? And how would you feel about it if Scott Robertson ended up coaching England at the next Rugby World Cup? I mean, I would imagine that the uh, rugby union up there are looking at probably a short-term solution. I mean, if you're Scott Robertson, do you take it for a year? Just get them to the World Cup and 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 then reassess your options after that. That's, that's a you're on a you're, that's a no lose situation if you're Scott Robertson, isn't it? How good is it that following the success of the Black Ferns, you now have the likes of Stuart Barnes saying, "Hey, look what he did. Let's bring him over and, uh, to sort out all England's problems." Yeah, or well, you're Wayne Smith. Yeah, 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 Wayne Smith. Yeah, I so uh, I hope that they have deep pockets as uh, <laughs> they've got the deepest pockets in world rugby. Don't you worry about English <laughs> rugby union. You know, I mean, I was looking. You know how much it goes to a game at tw- uh, a cost to go to a game at Twickenham? It's like about twelve hundred dollars to go to get a decent seat there. That's insane, and, I, and, and, and it's I love eighty thousand people. Yeah, and I love the way that uh, Martin Gillingham described it as a morgue leaving. Mm, yeah, that's right. He said it was like a. Full Football crowd, the way people were walking out early. And, you know, South Africa had a man sent off with 20 minutes to go in that game. Last time, uh, it was only a week ago, you know, England were lagging behind a Southern Hemisphere opponent who had a man binned. And then uh, they came back into it and, you know, got the draw in the last 10 minutes. So the fact that people were walking out, given that they had that recent history, suggests that their performance was pretty Ordinary. Uh, Mikey from Christchurch is called through on 0800 150 811. G'day, mate. How are you? Oh, g'day, Ricardo. Hey, love that you started the show off with Lemmy. That's, that's kicked off my day. That's awesome. Yeah, hey, it's, uh, uh, it's a great song, that, isn't it? <laughs> it's awesome. Hey, uh, if, if Scott Robertson went to England, I mean, NZR, you have only got themselves to blame, right? Because um, apparently he didn't get the job because he didn't have international experience. And if international experience comes begging, then he's kind of got to take the job, right? Yeah. Is, apparently it's only in the all-black job. So that would be horrible. That would be a real horrible feeling because what if England then were successful and they've got big coffers and they said, well, you know, stick around for another four years and then we lose them for maybe eight. Well, that would be a very, very desperate situation we find ourselves in. Yeah, 100%, Mikey. You know, And I, I think that it's something that... As a as a real possibility because apparently you know when the All Blacks lost that first game in South Africa, he got the call. Get your team together. You've got you've got the job. We, we're sacking Foster, and then they they won the second yeah. game and they changed their mind. So he's been dicked around a bit uh, by by New Zealand rugby. It feels I, I I don't think you could blame him if he if he took the option. He certainly has, and and on the Wayne Smith thing, I mean he's been fairly public saying he doesn't want to take his experience overseas. However. <laughs> Again, the money on offer would be quite eye-watering, I, I feel. And uh, if that kind of IP went overseas, then we're really in trouble, big time. And I think, uh, I think, I think you're finding that the English board probably under some kind of pressure to um, change their... They've been fairly mediocre in their selections of, like, Eddie Jones said that after the first four years he wasn't going to continue on, but he did. Um, I think New Zealand at the moment are going a little bit backwards in terms of thinking and, and taking risks. Uh, we may we may find ourselves in a situation of our own making. Mm, yeah, I mean that that's yeah. that's a really good point. I mean, I the thing is that I've not been convinced by Ian Foster at all, and things have only really improved since Joe Schmidt um, and Jason Ryan have come in, who were both apparently going to be part of Scott Robertson's uh, backroom staff when he applied for the job. So, what do you do from there? I mean, if if the All Blacks win the World Cup next year, does Fozzie get an extension? Well, of course he will, because the NZRU don't take risks. 
So they'll go, yep, this is, this is the right pass. So we have another four years of pain with the possibility of winning maybe two or three matches in the World Cup. But anyway, that's just, that's just my opinion. Yeah, good stuff, Mikey. Thanks for your call, bud. Thanks, what, what, what about um, Gatland? Uh, there's some talk that Gatland might uh, get out of his Chiefs contract to go back to coach Wales. It looks like Wayne Pivak might be getting the axe. Um, and there was talk about Gatland maybe coaching England after the Lions. So, I mean, you know, he might have a couple of job offers. Yeah, look, he could do, and uh, I guess there's a risk of tarnishing his reputation. But in, in saying that, Wales are also in another desperate position. I mean, it's very interesting for world rugby, isn't it? Uh, you've got a couple of teams having having real head scratches around their coaches. Um, I mean, it leaves the World Cup wide open, but you know, Wayne Gatlin's always um, gone to his own tune. So yeah, good on if he does. Yeah, yeah, indeed. All right, good stuff, Mikey. Thanks for your call, bud. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. Cheers. 0800 150 811 is our number. 0800 150 811. Interesting that Stuart Barnes, of course, a celebrated uh, English broadcaster and former English First Five, as well as been calling for Wayne Smith uh, now that he's out of the uh, the Black Ferns job uh, to be considered as the next England coach. Uh, would Wayne Smith do it? I get the feeling he probably wouldn't, but then I suppose if you're Wayne Smith and the, the dollar signs are big enough, maybe you would consider one last payday. We'll have to see. I know that there's been in the past uh, some suggestions that uh, he wouldn't be interested in coaching England, and I don't know uh, where that where that's come from, but that's things that I've been told. So uh, we'll have to see. Uh, keen to get your thoughts on that, though, and uh, the situation that Martin was talking about at the World Cup as well, with the way the draw's been done: New Zealand, South Africa, France, and Ireland all on one side of the draw. Uh, England have got Wales and. Uh, the Australians on their side of the draw, but the, really those are the those are the only teams that we, you would think would threaten a final. I think the crossover in the draw happens at semi-final stage. So, yeah, only two of Ireland, France, South Africa, and New Zealand will make the semi-finals. Um, It'll be interesting to see which way that goes and when the crossover happens, how it looks. But yeah, apparently, uh, New Zealand, South Africa, it's still a possibility uh, at that uh, World Cup. Uh, keen to get your thoughts on uh, the draw. Also, the World Cup, uh, nine minutes left of normal time between Uruguay and Portugal. Currently 1-0 to Portugal. Cristiano Ronaldo currently being substituted. He has scored Portugal's uh, w- well goal that has put them in the lead. Well, has he? It's hard to see. Bruno Fernandes puts in a cross. And Cristiano Ronaldo goes up for a header. He's claimed it, but I don't know if it touches him. Uh, is it a Fernandez goal or is it a Cristiano Ronaldo goal? Uh, yeah, it's interesting. We'll have to see. Um, no doubt the uh, the goals committee will come out on that one. Um, okay, uh, they're saying Bruno, apparently, saying he didn't get a touch, so it's a Bruno Fernandez goal. Uh, this text has come through. Uh, Good morning, Ricardo. I'm not a soccer follower, but don't mind a punt on it uh, during World Cup time. A couple of questions for you. Um, numbers say two, nine, ten. Are they positions like first five wing and fullback? Well, that's an uh, interesting question because at this World Cup, everybody there's twenty six players per squad, so they have numbers one to twenty six. So you get given a number uh, pre the tournament kicking off, and that's your your number regardless of whether you start or you're on the bench, etc. Traditionally, number two is a fullback. Number nine is uh, the lead striker, and number 10 is the creative playmaker, if you like, traditionally. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that's kind of what they mean now because uh, of the way that the numbers are given out to the squads. Uh, Brendan goes on to say, Also, I tried to watch a game or two, but what's with the diving? Like they've been shot by a sniper when nothing happened at all, really. And why don't the refs send them off for the way they talk to them? I'd love to see all refs, like Nigel Owen, 
No back-talking abuse going on There's, uh, there. It's very hard to watch. Well, yeah, Brennan, if you don't watch a lot of football, uh, maybe it does stand out, but if you do watch a lot of football, it happens all the time, mate. Um, I do believe that, that the respect for the referees is something that they are working on. It's it's certainly better than it was. Um, not That's not to say it's uh, it's where it should be, but it's different from rugby because the... In rugby, obviously, only the captains uh, can talk to the referees. In football, anybody can talk to the referee. And uh, it's up to the referee kind of how that chat goes and what they will take and what they won't take. Um, I think a lot of the English referees tend to be pretty pretty hard-nosed. and they, they kind of speak to the players similarly as the players speak to them, from what I understand it. Um, and in terms of the diving, well, FIFA did bring in uh, you know, yellow card if it's, a, if it's an out-and-out dive. Uh, that was a few years ago. That seems to have gone by the by. Uh, because now with VAR, you know, you can definitely tell if somebody has taken a dive. I would love to see them bring it in that if you go to VAR for something and go, hang on, that's not a foul. In fact, there's no contact at all that the guy gets a card. I'd love to see that doesn't happen at the moment. Um, And that's just the way football is, unfortunately. Uh, Graham is with us. G'day, mate. How are you? Hey, Ricardo. How you doing, brother? Yeah, good, mate. Good. How's, uh, How's things in Northland? Oh, man, I'm formerly from Northland. I'm down in Marlborough now, but, uh, yeah. But I'm actually going up next week to see my mum back up in Northland. So, yeah, I'll, I'll let you know next week how I'm doing in Northland, mate. Okay, mate. Well, hey, oh, sorry, I wasn't, because it says on your, says on the ticket here, Marlborough slash Northland, but I wasn't sure which way around it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm from Northland originally, but I live in Marlborough. But, uh, yeah, my parent, my mum's still up there, so we're rocking back to see what's happening up there. Poor old thing. She's getting on a bit. But anyway, um, I hope Eddie Jones stays with England, actually, because the beautiful Scotland have won the Calcutta Cup two years in a row. It'd be lovely to beat England twice, uh, three times in a row. But I don't really care what happens to English rugby, to, to be honest. I hope Scott Robertson doesn't take the position, but, but you wouldn't blame him. And uh, same with Warren Gatlin. Well, you wouldn't blame him because, yeah, the you know, you'd, you'd be on a million-plus salary, so why not? But I hope you don't lose Scott Robertson. I think it it would it would be sad for New Zealand if, if something like that happened. Yeah, uh, I but th- I think it's probably going. I think it's probably going to, which is you know, the, all the things I'm you hear is you know, Leon's Leon's probably ahead of Scott at the moment, and we all know how Scotty towed up the teams that Leon's been coaching lately, so doesn't look too good to be fair but yeah I mean what are you basing yeah. that on are you basing that on that uh, Scott Robertson coached the Barbars and Leon got the All Black 15 yeah and then the Super Final you know they made a mess of the Blues Leon was coaching there but uh, I'm just I just think that New Zealand rugby you know aren't fans of a huge fan of Scott Robertson just because of the he's just so cool mate you know the guy's just a you know he's just, he's just a he, he he's just himself. You ask him a question, he gives an honest answer. You know, a lot of coaches, they ask them a question, they give an answer that, you know, they want you, they think they want you to hear. He's just his own man, and I'm not sure if that sort of go fits too well with the rugby union, and you know, in my view. But yeah, who knows what's going to happen? But I hope he's I hope he gets the All Black job sooner rather than later. But you know, for him to be offered the job and then they win the game the next week and then he says, oh, and then they pull the offer from the table. That shows you what a mess the rugby union is in, doesn't it? Yeah. If that story's true. And, if you know, you're not the first person to say that. There's 
Staff said it, Smithy said it, Mike Hosking said it, so, you know, it's obviously happened. <laughs> well, yeah. it's not often I believe anything Mike Hosking says, but you might be onto something there if uh, it's backed up by a few <laughs> other people, Graham. Good stuff, mate. Hey, listen, thanks very much for your call. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Hopefully they've found a way to keep Razor in the country and part of the uh, New Zealand rugby setup. It is uh, 13 away from 10 here on SENZ. We're eight away from ten here on Mornings with Ian Smith. Portugal, Uruguay just uh, on the 90th minute. Portugal have a penalty. Their tournament hangs in the balance. Their fans know it. They look distraught. The penalty will be taken eventually. Not only just the penalty, on his line. the score here, the goal difference will now favour... South Korea as well in the next position. Yes, you are right. Well, so Bruno Fernandez, he won the penalty. Rochette, can he come up big? In can his 51st appearance for his country. Fewer bigger moments than this. He stands at the top of the area, staring nervously, full of concentration at the ball. Only eyes on the ball. The right footer approaches. Stutter step at the top. Takes a jump. Coolly, calmly. Sends the keeper to his left and tucks it away to the other corner and nestles it into the back of the net. And Portugal, book your ticket to the second round. Round of 16, here you come. Yeah, there you go. That's the Portuguese. Uh, 2 0 up. That game just about done. There is, well, we've got nine minutes of extra time, and they're four minutes into that. We'll keep you up to date with that. When we come back, uh, we will have a TAB multi for you. You got to know when to hold them. Know when to fold them. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. All right, this is what we're looking at today. A couple of basketball bets from the NBA. We've got the New York, uh, New York, New Orleans Pelicans to beat OKC at a dollar forty-three, and then I've got the Atlanta Hawks to beat the 76ers at a dollar ninety-seven. Uh, the way they're tracking, I think that'll be uh, a goodie. And then we'll go to the football. And tomorrow morning at four o'clock. The Dutch play Qatar, the last group game in Group A, uh, at the same time as Ecuador-Senegal. Uh, those games both kick off at four. I've got the Dutch to win, uh, to lead at half-time and to win to nil. The Dutch to lead at half-time and win to nil. The TAB have boosted the odds on that to two seventy-five. So $1.43 on the Pelicans, $1.97 on the Hawks, two seventy-five on the Netherlands to lead at half-time and win to nil against Qatar. It returns seven seventy-four. There you go. That's uh, the TAB bet for today, our multi. Uh, you can bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. We're going to hit a panel after the latest in news and sport, and later on in the next hour, we're going to talk NFL as well. After 11, we're talking more FIFA World Cup, and there's $200 to be won from a TAB bonus bet and stumped as well at around 11.30. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Talk, talk, talk to me, yeah. Yeah, we've uh, brought the panel forward this morning. It is uh, three past ten here on Mornings with Ian Smith, Ricardo Ball in for you. Uh, thanks to Brandt, your local John Deere equipment supplier. Uh, with us, Patrick McKendry. G'day, Patty. How you doing, mate? G'day, Ricardo. I'm well, thanks. Long time. Long time. I'm trying to remember when was it? Was it 2014 that we were up in up in Philly with, with Joe Parker and Robbie Berridge? That was a, that was a great trip. 
It was a fantastic. Was a great, I think you gave me a great education about craft beer on that trip too, Ricardo. Well, hey, mate, I, you know, I try. I try. Christina Eddy is uh, also with us from Sky. Christina, if you want an education on craft beer, just let me know. Yeah, hey, I'll absolutely uh, hit you up on that offer, actually. It sounds like you must be the guy to go on that. Good yeah. morning. Well, good morning. Doing? Yeah, good, mate. Good. Thanks for joining us for our panel today. Uh, now, there's a, there's a lot on the on the panel outside of craft beer. Let's start with international rugby, though, because, uh, Patrick, it's uh, been talked a lot about that Warren Gatlin might be re- primed for a return to Wales uh, because Wayne Pivak's obviously had a, had a horrible November. I do remember not long ago there was some talk about him after the British and Irish Lions perhaps taking the England job, and I wouldn't be surprised if that's up for grabs before Christmas as well. What do you What do you think? Uh, look, I think um, Warren has positioned himself brilliantly as he as he currently does uh, back in Europe now um, on the hunt for a new job. I doubt he'll get the England one. I think um, I just think it would cost England too much to get rid of Eddie Jones before the World Cup. I think I think they're stuck with him really um, until the World Cup, England. So, but definitely Wales. Um, I, I think Gatlin's a, a big chance to go to, to to take over from Pivak at Wales. He's obviously very well thought of there. He's had some success, uh, and, and I do think that he probably would make some improvements and uh, and put them on track for a slightly better World Cup than what they're heading for at the moment. Yeah, it's, it's 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 looking pretty ugly at the moment uh, for the Welsh, isn't it, Christina? After after this November, it is. I mean, they've scored what the least tries of any Tier One nation, and losses to Italy and Georgia are pretty humiliating as well. But you have to say that it's shaping up to be quite an interesting World Cup because it's not like England and even the All Blacks, obviously for for quite a large part of the season, either have really been shining like massively up to their potential and what they've proven that they can do in the past. So I think it's interesting. I think it's fascinating, especially all the rumours around England as well. Um, Eddie Jones' job's obviously on the line, but like um, Patrick said, it will be a costly move. Although, you know, the interesting thing around Wayne Smith and how he's turned around the Black Ferns, that's obviously putting him in good stead. And then there's massive um, suggestions as well about Razor heading over to England too. So it kind of feels like where there's smoke, there's fire, and they're they're potentially looking... Um, I think it would be a good move for Wales to take on Gats, to be honest. Um, he's obviously had good success here in the past, and I think, like I said, it's, it shapes up to be a very fascinating World Cup, so get the popcorn out. I like it when there's a big shift around only eight months out from the World Cup. Let's bring it on. Yeah, bring it on indeed, because it's not just uh, you know that, that Georgia game, but also the way they gave up that lead to Japan, uh, to the Australians, and it's effectively a B Wallabies team. They had so many players out. Um, yeah, certainly didn't paint Pivak in a, in a, in a great light. Uh, what about Stuart Barnes talking about Wayne Smith for the England role? Um, Patrick, I mean, I, I can't see Wayne Smith going up there, but I can see Razor being tempted. I mean, he's, he was with England over in Australia in mid, mid-year. He's been up there with the Bar Bars as well. I mean, he's, he's within Kui. What do you reckon? Um, yeah, look, Razor is in a, in a pretty good position, uh, isn't he, in terms of international jobs. He's made that quite clear that he wants to coach uh, an international job next, uh, an international team next. So um, he'd be looking very appealing to, to England, no doubt about it. Um, the way he uh, motivates players to get the best out of them. Something seems to be missing from England. Um you know, against the All Blacks, they didn't start playing until really the game was almost gone. And, and the same applied with um, their recent defeat to South Africa, where they they just seemed to 
not be able to play with any freedom um, until the game's almost up. And that, I don't know, that, that sort of speaks to a, a very constricted or um, a mindset that isn't quite right. So definitely something's missing there. And, and maybe Razor is the missing the missing link and get the best out of those guys. But in terms of Wayne Smith, absolutely not. Uh, I remember uh, I remember 10 years ago, we were having a, very, a pretty similar sort of a, similar rumours are going around about him uh, coaching England then. Um, after uh, after his World, World Cup success in 2011, and I think he was quite tempted, but then he decided that no, he couldn't he couldn't touch against the All Blacks, and uh, no, he's, he's not getting any younger. He's, he's made it quite clear that he's um, he's pretty pretty keen on retirement now after doing so well with the Blackburn. So it won't be him, um, but it may be Razor. You never know. I mean, you never know. He could be part of that. Uh, it'd be interesting. I wonder um, whether or not, Christina, I don't know if you've heard anything, but about, you know, there was there was that chat that after the first loss against the South Africans in South Africa that the uh, NZRU had all but sacked Ian Foster and Scott Robertson was told to assemble his team. Um, I don't know if there's, they've got to deal with, with, with Razor to, you know, just wait till the 2023 Rugby World Cup's over and it's yours? Or uh, I don't know if you know anything uh, from, from all your contacts there at Sky? <laughs> oh, all I know is that in 2019 um, at the Rugby World Cup, you know, obviously Razor was, was touted back then and, and there was loads of conversations around uh, the coaches and him who was next and it kind of always feels like, well, it's, you know, it's public... Uh, public opinion, so to speak, that Razor has sort of been dealt a bit of an unfair hand by New Zealand rugby. So, I mean, who knows? It's sort of he's still around in the he's still around the business. He's up for the New Zealand rugby awards, obviously for the best national coach and stuff. He's still around the game. But one thing is, is that you know, with all these rumours, looks like there's a lot of New Zealand rugby talent that could be heading offshore to to line up in the coaching ranks internationally. So, I mean, if you do get Razor going over to England and the likes, and Gatlin back at Wales, and there's definitely a lot of intel heading back over over internationally, and it should shape up for some pretty good competition over the next couple of years if that was the payoff. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if New Zealand rugby have learned anything from losing all that um, uh, intellectual intellectual intelligence off offshore. Patrick, no, well, I think one thing's clear that they have to they have to get the the process around the next coach right because they didn't uh, didn't last time. They left it too late. They missed out on Tony Brown and Jamie Joseph. You know, they missed out on Dave Rennie. Um, so you, you, I don't think they can do that again. Surely they realise that. So there has to be a much tidier and clearer process around attracting the best talent to, to the job. And you've got to say that uh, after year, the year that I've had um, this year, uh, Ian, Ian Foster, you know, he's, he's obviously back into the World Cup, but certainly I don't think he can play in two too much beyond that in terms of his uh, in terms of his All Blacks kid because um, it's been a very difficult year and, and I've got to say the All Blacks uh, haven't impressed consistently. I think their game management in particular has been pretty poor uh, and so yeah, I, I think um, big lessons learned for New Zealand rugby and they have to get it right next time. Mm, yeah, they definitely uh, they definitely do on that. Do you, what do you make, Patrick, of um, Scott Robertson being allowed to coach the Barbars and New Zealand rugby giving the All Black 15 job to Leon? Does that suggest that mm. in their eyes they see Leon as ahead of Razor and maybe the, the next All Black no. coach running? I don't think so. I, I heard that Razor actually didn't want to coach the All Blacks uh, 15 team, um, which was it's kind of interesting. Uh, mm. So let's be, he's on a return to, to Leon instead. I think um, 
Rose is still a hugely important part of the game in New Zealand. He's obviously coaching at the moment. He's coaching the Crusaders for one last season. Um, he's on rugby. They probably would admit that they've mucked around in the recent past. I, mean, I think they, um, they they want to keep him happy to an extent, and so I think that's why they allowed him to coach the Barbars. And uh, he did a pretty good t- uh, job too, by the looks of things. So, yeah, I think I think that's the background to that one. Yeah, all right. Uh, we've also, uh, Christina, had the New Zealand Rugby Award nominees announced, and I know I think this is on Sky Next Thursday. You can you can catch this live, and uh, there's some interesting uh, interesting people in there and interesting teams in there and ones that aren't in there as well. What did uh, who, who do you think the big winners are of the nominees for the uh, for the rugby awards? It'd be hard to, it'd be hard to look past uh, Rohe Dumont wouldn't it when mm. considering she's just won World Rugby Player of the Year. Um, but I mean she's up against some stiff competition in terms of, you know, with Stacey Fleur and Sarah, Sarah Hiddeney and Teresa Fitzpatrick. So obviously Sarah's up for two awards as well, also the Sevens um, award too. I would like to see uh, Demont probably take it out. I do think that she was deserving of World Rugby Player of the Year, and I just feel like um, there were a whole lot of reasons for that, and it, may, it would make a lot of sense. Uh, obviously, Adi Savia was a big omission from the World Rugby Awards. Um, he's up for All Blacks Player of the Year. I, think, I would I would say he's probably the front front runner for that award. Um, he's also up for Super Rugby Player of the Year too. I think one of the interesting ones actually, I think, lies in sort of the National Coach Award with the men's. Um, I'd actually le- really like to see Leo Crowley take it out, considering Wellington's win over the NBC. I think that was a, that was a pretty uh, big result this year. And the way he coached that team, I think he should be the front runner for that award. But awards are always a tricky one, right? Because every single person that's nominated has been nominated for a reason and for different reasons. So it's always pretty hard to dissect them. But yeah, we'll be live on Sky and Prime at 8 30 next Thursday night. Yeah, uh, Patrick, uh, the All Blacks Player of the Year. Um, they've they've done a they've done a better job, I think, shortlisting this than World Rugby did for their Player of the Year, didn't they? Um, they've got Geordie Barrett, Adi Savia, Samisoni, Tokiaho, and Sam Whitelock listed. I'm, I'm tempted to go with Tokiaho. I think he's probably been our most most consistent performer in the black jersey this mm. year. He's certainly been the big mover, hasn't he? Yeah, uh, you're right. He's impressed hugely. Um, so that's pretty close. Uh, competition in terms of those nominations. I think Savea probably will get it for his consistency and his ability to, you know, I mean, obviously to play so well in every test that he plays in and to be such a uh, a hugely influential part of that pack. Um, but, you know, certainly some of Tony Takiyaho has played well this year. I, I think Black Ferns be interesting. Um, like Christina said, I think, DeMont will probably win it, but I was hugely impressed with those midfielders, mm. Fitzpatrick and Fleur, especially in the latter part of the tournament. Wow, um, just amazing. And, and Hitterany as well um, was a hugely important part of that pack. So, But what, one thing I'm a bit surprised about is no Wayne Smith nomination for Coach of the Year for the men's national teams. I, I'm not sure if that is because of the way they've structured it or because certainly I think that he, he probably deserves to be recognised in some form. Obviously, World Rugby Coach of the Year doesn't get much better than that, but um, a recognition by New Zealand Rugby, I thought, uh, would have been would have been appropriate for, for what he's done this year. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong on this, Christina, but I believe that it's only domestic competitions, not international. Is that right? That's my understanding, yeah. It's, it looks like it's the structure of the domestic competition, but it, yeah, I mean, that was the immediate omission for me too when I looked at the list. It was, it was glaringly... Uh, <laughs> clear as to his absence, um, given everything that's happened. And I mean, 
I think you've described throughout the public as the darling of the world of the World Cup. So, I mean, interesting uh, definition. But anyway, he's definitely left an impact, hasn't he? And, and, it's, and it's still so recent in our minds too. But yeah, from my understanding, it's domestic. Okay, all right. From egg ball to round ball, uh, the FIFA World Cup is uh, in the in its midst at the moment. Uh, we are just through two rounds. Everybody's played two games now, Christina. I know this has been dominating Sky Sports coverage at the moment. It's on every channel just about. Uh, we've got one round of games left to play in the groups. Who are you liking um, so far in the tournament uh, heading into the round of 16? Well, it's looking like France, Brazil and Portugal now with their recent win over uh, Uruguay sort of top three heading into round of 16. I think you really can't look past the France-Brazil final at this stage, um, both doing pretty much as predicted heading into the tournament. But, I mean, Ghana's my team of the tournament and we'll take the win again this morning over South Korea. <laughs> so uh, hopefully they've obviously got a big matchup with Uruguay, but I'm hoping that they'll get through to the round of 16. That would be huge. Um Australia obviously need that critical one over Denmark too. And then there's Morocco as well. So I do like some of these little underlying minnow teams hitting and shaping up that they could make the top 16. So, uh, but yeah, I'd say France, Brazil, Portugal, all front runners at this stage. Did you did you draw Ghana at the office pool? Is that why you, you, you're singing about Ghana at the top there? <laughs> no, no, not that, not that uh, pathetic. I spent quite a bit of time in Ghana when I was um, 18. So I landed there actually the day after they lost to uh, the USA and all the streets were going wild, probably in the worst way. I wish I'd landed a week earlier when it was um, really good festival celebrations. But, you yeah, know, they love their football and I know that they'll be celebrating. They'll probably have a national day off today uh, overnight. So I know how huge it is to them and it's sort of a bit of a soft spot when it comes to the World Cup. Yeah, they're the entertainers, that's for sure. They've uh, scored five, conceded five in two games. There's always something going on in their games. Patrick, uh, how much of an eye have you had on the World Cup? Uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've tried to catch as much as I can. I got Cameroon in the sweepstake. Um, they've had a loss and a comeback draw today, I think, this morning. So not looking that flash, to be honest. But um, I quite like Spain. Uh, I caught a bit of uh, Spain-Germany yesterday, which was a pretty decent game. Um so, yeah, I mean, obviously France, Brazil, possibly. I'm not sure about Argentina. They sort of seem a bit hot and cold. But I think, I think those, um, those top teams will have a good show. Uh, obviously looking forward to tomorrow morning, Wales-England, um, which will be a fairly large one. Um, England haven't really convinced. Didn't look that great against USA and 0-0 draw um, after, after thrashing around. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously going to be a massive game. Wales haven't been in... Haven't been here since what 1950, is it? So, 1958, uh, I think it game. was. Yeah. 58. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's... So obviously a huge game, huge game for the UK. Yeah, massive game for the UK. Run US as well at the same time, and boy, that's uh, that's gotten political overnight. But we'll we'll talk more about that later. Uh, we should finish though on on a great news story. Uh, Lydia Ko, uh, what a redemption arc this has been for her. She was world number one back in 2017. It all seemed to fall out. Uh, fall apart for her. Um, you know, the, the the jokes were about, you know, sort of uh, had more swing coaches than I've had hot dinners type thing. Uh, but she seems to have found one that works and she's got got settled, Christina, maybe uh, making more of her own calls and having her mum make them for her. Um, a, a great comeback for her to be back to world number one again, Lydia Ko. Oh, it is, isn't it? I mean, you make that comment about her mum. I saw that there was a, a comment, a quote from her not that, that a week or two ago where apparently her mum rang her and said you were still better when you were 
17 and you are at 25 or whatever. And she was like, great, what am I supposed to do with that information? Thanks, mum. Maybe world number one will appease her. Um, but I mean, yeah, you have to say with all the turbulence and the changes she's had over the past five years, and she's, it's actually the longest stretch between world number ones and the women's game too. Um, and she even admits she wasn't sure she was ever going to be back there again. But I think what's more impressive is sort of the consistency throughout the season, you know, winning at the start, winning in the middle, winning at the end. Um, it bodes well for the rest of her career moving forward, and it's probably the confidence boost she needed after what has been pretty turbulent. Has been very turbulent. Uh, Patrick, I don't know if you are uh, on the Helberg judging committee, so feel free to abstain from this question if if it uh, prejudices you in any way. But, I mean, her, uh, Lydia Coe, Zoe sadowski Synod, I mean, the running for the Helbergs this, uh, this year is going to be pretty pretty tight, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly will. I, don't, I, I mean, it's a controversial area, isn't it? And it's a, great for discussion. I don't tend to... I'm not on the judging panel, by the way. Um, I don't tend to get too caught up in these things. But uh, I, I can't add... I guess I can't add much more to Lydia's, you know, recent um, triumphs than, than uh, Christina's already covered. But um, I, I did watch a bit of her playing in that event in Florida recently, um, just on the TV, obviously. And yeah, she just she looked so calm, um, and just really impressed with the maturity and the fact that you know I think she started off one round with a bogey on a par five, but she didn't let it affect her. She just just kept grinding, and she's just so consistent, um, uh, just just so good, really. And I've I've recently taken up golf again, so completely different ends of the spectrum, really, in terms of temperament and um, quality. Uh, between me and her, so um, yeah, just hugely impressive, and, and well done to well done to Lydia. How, how many swing coaches have you been through? <laughs> oh, mate, uh, just just the one myself. <laughs> I think I'm going to need some outside assistance. <laughs> Good stuff, Patty. Hey, listen, thanks, guys, uh, for coming on the panel today. Uh, great to catch up with you both, Christina. Thank you, Patty. Thank you, and uh, let's do that uh, that that craft beer session again soon, eh? Sounds good, mate. Looking forward to it. Cheers, that was the panel. It is 10.22 here on SENZ. I hear her voice in the morning, now she calls me. Radio reminds me of my home far away. Driving down the road, I get a feeling that I should have been home yesterday. Yesterday. Sing it, Smithy. Country road, take me That is our very own Ian Smith belting out that classic. Uh, so it seems we've been misled, Logan. We were told uh, that I'm filling in because he's off to Australia to commentate on the Fox Sports coverage of the West Indies Australia Test Series. But the truth is he's uh, gone out as a wedding singer and is making more money. So that's obviously what's happened here. Oh, how good. If you haven't seen that clip, go check out either our Instagram, at SNZ Mornings, or hit us up on Twitter, same thing, at SNZ Mornings. Oh, it is just great. I mean, I've only known him since Feb this year. I had no idea he had those kind of pipes. I've known him for a long, longer than that, and I had no idea either. So you're not the only one. You're not alone. <laughs> you're not alone on that um, Smithy classic um, singing uh, Country Roads. Maybe we should take requests. Maybe that should be the thing. We Every week we take requests on what song Smithy should sing, and then he has to sing it and we'll play it out. 
So it's gone from talk back time to Smithy with karaoke with, <laughs> with Smithy. Smithy. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. A couple of texts that have come through on double eight, double three. Charlie said it's going to be interesting to see what Scott Robertson does with his coaching and how he would go away from all black stacked teams. Yeah, cheers, Charlie. Um, he's done a very good job with his recruitment in the back room of uh, the Crusaders. The way he set that up, and as I mentioned, you know, Joe Schmidt. Jason Ryan, we're going to be part of his team, uh, coaching team for the All Blacks if he'd gotten the job when he applied for it with Ian Foster. So interesting that those two are in there now with Ian Foster. Um, Jamie said, can you please give me the rationale as to why Scott Robertson is the man to take over? All I hear is get him in there, but what's he actually done? Well, he's won how many championships with the Crusaders? Five of out of the last six, I think it is. Um, he lost a bunch of games versus club teams in Britain with the Barbers. Yeah, he did, but I mean, uh, they also had a win over the All Black 15 with the Barbers, right? And those club games, you know, I mean, you're talking the Barbers from everything that I've been told uh, from uh, guys like Stephen Donald, um, those are and, and Steve Devine, they're very much, uh, should we say, well hydrated. Trips, um, they, they, not a whole lot of training going on on those. So I don't think you can look to that too much. Uh, what has made him look good is that Canterbury recruit the best young players into an already well-established framework. Yeah, they do. But, I mean, here's a big part of that. Um, uh, what Jamie said is give, them, give him the Highlanders or the Waratahs and, and get them to win a championship, then I'll believe. Well, I mean, I'll tell you what, the bloke that you've got running things now at the moment, and this is you know quite widely known, failed with a, an all-black stacked Chiefs team, the year after he gave it away, Dave Rennie took them to the championship with pretty much the same team. So I would suggest that maybe you need to have a think about that. Chris has said, it wasn't only New Zealand rugby, it was also the senior players that wanted Foster to stay on after the second South Africa test. Well, was it? Or was that just a great PR line, Chris? I don't know. That's kind of how I look at it. But uh, we'll have more of those chats a little later on here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Coming up shortly, MJ Hurley's going to join us. We're going to talk NFL. First, though, here's the latest in news and sport with Aroha. 27 away from 11 here on Mornings with Ian Smith. Thanks to Brandt, your local John Deere equipment supplier, Ricardo Ball, and for Smithy. And joining us now to talk NFL out of the States is MJ Hurley. G'day, mate. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you, sir? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Good. I, I see the, the Cleveland Browns have officially reactivated Deshaun Watson. He's part of the 53-man active roster now. Uh, it looks like he'll probably start against the Texans, which will be interesting uh, this coming uh, weekend. I mean, to be fair, you could start me against the Texans and the Browns would still probably win because the Texans are awful. But uh, what, do you, what do you make of this news? And does it mean that you think the Browns may be a, a postseason chance now? Um... I I would love first of all I'd love to see you start against the Texans. I think that would be the entertainment of the year. I would love to see that. Um <laughs> but I mean honestly, I I'm not I'm not reading too much into the Browns playoff chances. They're not um they're not particularly close. The AFC has been very good. Um there are a lot of football teams ahead of them right now. Now, to be fair, their win against um, the the Bucks yesterday did give them a fighting chance. They are not dead. They're third in the NFC North at four and seven. Uh, their schedule is a little tough. They've got Texans, Bengals, Ravens, Saints, Commanders, Steelers left, which is not terrible and it's not great. Um, their division chances are pretty slim. Um, so I, I think most of the storylines less 
for the rest of the season for the Browns are what does this team look like with Deshaun Watson starting and kind of looking forward to next year. All right, we should talk about the Bucks who they beat as well. Um, they lost uh, Tristan Wirfs, their, their right tackle, so a little less protection for um, 45-year-old Tom Brady. Uh, they still top their division, but they're teetering, aren't they, the Bucks? Do you think uh, they're going to make any impact postseason? The, bu- the Bucks have the easiest path to the postseason in any division in football. I mean, they're sitting at five and six, and in most divisions in the NFL, they would be third place. So, you know, everybody here knows I enjoy poking some fun at Tom Brady, you know, a lot of the time. So once again, Tom Brady has a super easy pass to the playoffs. And, you know, whether or not I admire him or enjoy watching him play, he makes noise when he gets to the playoffs. So whether they're eight and nine or 10 and seven, whatever the Bucks record is when they get into the playoffs, it really looks like they're still going to come away with that division. And I don't care what it looks like. Unfortunately, when you get Tom Brady in the postseason, he's able to make some things happen. So, I mean, again, I don't think this is going to be a deep postseason run, but again, would I be surprised if Tampa Bay went into say Minnesota in the wild card round or something like that and actually took down the Vikings? No, that would not surprise me at all. Is the NFC South the new NFC least? Yes, 100%. Um, Because there is very little future for any of those teams. You look at the Saints who don't have a quarterback and don't have a first-round pick. The Carolina Panthers have a quarterback carousel, and none of them can do anything. Um, The Atlanta Falcons are the closest that you can resemble to a just average NFL franchise in that division. Um, But again, with Marcus Mariota at quarterback, that's not a future for the Falcons. So they're going to have to look at that position in the draft this year. And then the Bucs, they have a very talented roster. But again, it all revolves around that quarterback position in the NFL. And like you said, when we start talking about it, 45 year old 45 year old Tom Brady it is really hard to play to 38 in the NFL let alone 45 so you have to think his days are numbered whether that be because of retirement or just skill so there's not much future here in the NFC South whereas the NFC East every team is looking up yeah, that is that is so true. We'll get to them shortly. We should talk Aaron Rodgers, though, if we're talking aging quarterbacks. Uh, he picked up an injury yesterday and a big loss uh, for the Packers. Is that them done this season? And, and what do you think his future beyond the season is? You have no idea how complicated a question that is. I'll see, I'll see what <laughs> I can do to, to sum it up. Um, Aaron Rodgers is not officially out for the season. Um, In his own words, as long as the Packers are not mathematically eliminated, he would like to play. Um, He was pulled from the game last night because the Packers were concerned that he um, possibly had a punctured lung with a possibility of a fractured rib. Um, As far as I know, everything coming out of Green Bay today, he has not uh, punctured a lung. His rib x-rays are coming back all right. Um, So now he's just focusing on... Really sore ribs, um, still a fractured thumb, um, and they're going to have to do some work to him this week. But he's he's not going to sit out a Packers-Bears game when the Packers season is hanging on by a thread. After that football game, 
once they get mathematically eliminated, there are plenty of conversations about um, whether or not Jordan Love should play the rest of the season. Aaron Rodgers has a $59 million guaranteed contract next year unless the Packers were to trade him and find a suitor that would take on some of that money. So it's one of the most complicated situations in the NFL. But Jordan Love made it even more complicated last night because when he came in down 14 in a Philly Lincoln Stadium that is not friendly to young quarterbacks, he looked really good. And, you know, who knows what's going to happen with Rodgers and Love. But Packers fans should at least be encouraged that the guy behind Rodgers, he's got a little bit of something in him. He does have uh, more than a little bit of something in him. You mentioned the NFC East. Uh, the uh, the Eagles are ten and one. Lead that from the Cowboys are eight and three. The Giants seven and four. And maybe the surprise package of this, uh, of of the last sort of five or six weeks is the Washington Commanders. They're four and one. They're seven and five um, over the season. But they really put a run together. What's changed at the Commanders? So I, honestly, uh, so I got my start covering. Uh, professional football by covering the XFL in 2020, right before COVID, um, which was just a, a smaller professional league now bought by the Rock, so everybody knows about it now. Um, but it was actually gaining some really good traction in 2020. Um, ESPN, you know, was talking about it all the time, and the the Washington Commanders quarterback Taylor Heineke was the quarterback for the St. Louis BattleHawks in the XFL in 2020, and that's how the Washington Commanders found him was that of the XFL. So I love that story, that team. I mean, at the end of the day, I feel bad for Carson Wentz, but he's just not, he wasn't playing well enough before his injury. And it really sucks to see injury kind of take a guy out of his starting job. Jameis Winston of the Saints has talked about that. But at the end of the day, Taylor Heineke is winning football games. And it's really hard to root against that football team, Um, you know, They've been through all the name change, all the controversy. And at the end of the day, they're a really fun young team that's winning football games. Over to the AFC, and uh, the Ravens got beat yesterday by the Jags, which I did not see coming. What what went wrong there? I mean, the, the Ravens feel like they've thrown about three or four leads away this season when they've looked comfortable. So pretty much all four of their losses they have thrown away. They threw away their 42-38 to 38 loss to the Dolphins. They threw away their 23-20 loss to the Bills. Same thing to the Giants, 24-20, and then 28-27 against the Jaguars. So they've lost all of their games total by a combined 15 points. That's it in four games. Now, their wins haven't been super decisive either. They're just playing a lot of close-score games. If you compare them to the Minnesota Vikings, the Vikings are winning all of their close-score games. And it's just, it's got to be so frustrating for John Harbaugh and, and the Ravens because they have been in such good positions. And realistically, if a couple plays go a different ways, the Ravens could honestly be undefeated right now and sitting atop the NFL world. But a couple things at the end of the game, I, I don't know what it is specifically. I don't know if it's they get too comfortable. I mean, honestly, John Harbaugh has admitted publicly I don't really know why this is happening because it happens in different ways. Sometimes the offense stalls. Sometimes they give up a huge lead on defense and the offense keeps scoring, but they can't keep up with the opposing offense. Whatever it is, uh, they've had a couple special teams gaffes. Um, It's just a comedy of errors. And again, even with all of that, they're still sitting at seven and four. They're still atop the AFC North. Uh, They're still looking at good playoff position. 
it's just a little concerning that when you get to playoff football, that's those type of, you know, that type of inconsistency is not going to go well. I think we've got another six weeks uh, of regular season left. Um, and looking at the AFC, I, I know the, the Dolphins are ahead of the Bills on the East on on uh, points differential, but it feels like it's a Bills-Chiefs AFC championship. Is that where you're leaning? That's where I'm leaning. And it it's one of those things where it's hard to root against Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. Um, what Mahomes has been able to do this year and I know all of the broadcasts here are talking about this consistently and just hammering it home, but it really is worth worth the words that Patrick Mahomes will just spread around the ball to 10 or 12 guys every game. And with Tyree Kill gone, you know, Travis Kelsey is incredible, no doubt. He's getting a lot of the target share. He's scoring a lot of touchdowns. But you've got guys like Sky Moore, guys like Justin Watson, who nobody even knew their names before the beginning of the year. And now you've got Jim Nance, Tony Romo, you know, all the top broadcast guys praising them because they're learning how to play under Patrick Mahomes with a couple injuries. Um, I mean, Josh Allen is Josh Allen. He's a beast. I don't know. The Dolphins to me with a team that young, it was kind of like the Bengals last year. You got to prove it to me before I'm going to favor you against the top dogs in the bills and the chiefs. It could happen. But at the end of the day, if I had to put my money, you know, my money or my body on it, I'm going to go Bills. Bills it is. All right. Um, now, the, uh, I was looking at Kansas City yesterday. I was watching that game against the Rams, who had an un, one of the most underwhelming seasons of a Super Bowl champion I can remember. But there was a stat that came up. When Travis Kelsey scored that touchdown, which was a superb run, by the way, the field just opened up, a, a stat flashed up that said the uh, – Quarterback to tight end uh, touchdowns in the NFL. I think that's now up to 46. It's the most of any combination of quarterback and tight end. And I thought, hang on, what about Brady and Gronk? Surely they haven't gone past that already. Let's, off the top of my head, um, I think Brady and Gronk have to have more. Um, let Let me see if I can find this real quick. I know, I want to say they were talking about, um, Chiefs touchdowns specifically. Yeah, Brady to Gronkowski, they have 105 touchdowns together. I believe Mahomes to Kelsey, the stat you're talking about, I believe that was the most touchdowns thrown from any Chiefs quarterback to receiver period, which is still very impressive given, you know, Tony Gonzalez played there for a long time. He was an incredible tight end. Um, they've had some really good tight ends in their history. Uh, but, yeah, they, they've got a little bit to go to catch Brady and Gronk. Yeah, they do. They do. All right, thanks for ironing that out for me, MJ. Hey, and thanks again yeah. for giving us some time, man. It's uh, It's been good to chat. Uh, go well, and we'll catch up with you soon, eh? Sounds good. Always a pleasure. Cheers. Talking NFL with MJ Hurley there. Here on Mornings with Ian Smith, thanks to Brand, your local John Deere equipment supplier. We'll be back after this. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. Nine away from 11 are racing's biggest fans in the studio. Uh, Louis Herman Watt, mate, I, I understand that you had a, a, bit of a bit of a win on the weekend. 
Yeah, and I'm just reinvesting my money into Netherlands to lead at halftime and to win nil against Qatar. Mm, paying 275, I think the TAB have boosted that too. Oh, man, I am all on the Netherlands. Yeah. I love the Netherlands. You're all about I that. I'm Dutch in spirit. Who did you draw in the office sweepstake? The clog wearers. Oh, you did, all right. So you're definitely well invested. Oh, yeah. Well last, invested. Hey, last World Cup as well, I got Croatia to the final. I've got Croatia this time. Oh, I love Croatia. How fun are they to root for? Mate, they're great. They're the best. They are. They're awesome. Come through war-torn adversity. They're all tough on the pill. They just want it. Yeah, they want it, mate. And they they, 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 they just put Canada to the sword uh, the other day. That was great Yeah, and you never know whether they can score goals, but then they come out and score four. I wanted the quaddy in the weekend, mm. and we got it at Tarapa. How good. With uh, a $31 shot in the last when we had the field. <laughs> so we had the field, and then we were just like rooting for something at long odds to get up, and yeah. it did. And uh, we got 65% of just over 13K. So wow. happy days. It's about nine grand, right? Yeah, just under nine grand. So the quarter crashed off to a good start. This weekend, the Group 1 racing is at Trentham. Uh, Captain Cook Stakes, which is bloody exciting. Aegon, who seemed to find some form back in Melbourne for uh, Andrew Forsman. Mick D's going to ride him, the uh, expat Kiwi that's coming back from Australia to ride him. So there you go. Aegon is going to be right in the market. Don't be surprised. Don't have to double take when you see he will be somewhere near favouritism mm. because he found form again in Victoria and that Australian form, well, it's dynamite back here in New Zealand. Yeah, good stuff. All right, Louis, thanks for coming in, mate. Uh, you can go home now. You can go home now. And uh, hopefully the Dutch get up for you against Qatar tomorrow. Uh, when we come back, Brendan Popperwell joins us from the TAB. <coughs> couple of minutes away from 11 o'clock. You can bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Brendan Popwell joins us from the TAB. G'day, B-Pops. How you doing, mate? Yeah, pretty good. Thanks, Rick Dog, And uh, certainly enjoying this football, and, and the punters are too. Yeah, mate. I, I'd imagine the last couple of days have been pretty good for you guys with some of the upsets. Uh, would have uh, torpedoed a few multis. The TAB will be laughing. Yeah, look, it certainly has been the case. Each, each day there's been one game that's just upset the up, apple cart enough to... Uh, to probably disappoint punters and and a couple of ugly draws in, in some of the week in the last few days. So uh, yep, I think tomorrow though the punters have really lined up here with the Netherlands and England. They're the two teams that are getting very well backed. Yeah, there's a boosted one that you've got the Dutch. I was just talking to Louis about it actually to, to lead at halftime and beat Qatar to nil at two seventy five, which uh, looks a real uh, a really good prospect to me. Well, Louis just he's just dumped it all on from his quaddy winning, so um, you know that's probably going to move pretty shortly. That price, if, if Louis is going to turn up with a few gorillas. <laughs> Good stuff, mate. Good stuff. Is there anything else we need to keep an eye our, our eye on today? Yeah, mate, we'll quickly touch on some Monday night football. I reckon there's a really good bet here uh, in around uh, Kenny Pickett. Now, this is the uh, quarterback for the Steelers who's got a chance of playing his first indoor dome game, and I thought his overs uh, passing yardage was really good. It has moved from 213 to 216, but we've seen some money for it, and they might be worth a look in Monday night football. Good stuff. B-Pops, thanks very much for your time, bud. Go well, and we'll uh, catch up with you soon, eh? Cheers, man. Thanks Cheers. You can watch and bet live on your favourite sports and racing at tab.co.nz. Please gamble responsibly, R18. When we come back after the latest in news and sport, Brian Scuretta, American football writer, is going to join us. We're going to talk FIFA World Cup and Iran versus the USA.
Three past the eleven here, and uh, around eleven thirty, your chance to play stumped and a two hundred dollar TAB bonus bet up for grabs. Before then, though, we're going to talk uh, football or soccer, as they call it in America, with Brian Scuretta, who uh, joins us now, American soccer journalist, uh, works for New York Times, uh, Soccer America. I think he's been on Talk Sport and uh, written stuff for the Athletic as well. Uh, basically, all the all the top rags for football news. Brian, g'day, how are you? Hey, thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you. Thanks for coming on, man. And, you know, a lot of, in this part of the world, being an ex, you know, being a colonial uh, country, there's a lot of uh, eyeballs on England, of course, and uh, their game against Wales tomorrow. But really, the most interesting game in that group tomorrow is the USA's game against Iran. And uh, it's it's led to a few different storylines, including one about whoever manages uh, the US men national team social media accounts and the way that they have portrayed the Iranian flag, and that that has caused the Iranians to ask FIFA to kick them out of the World Cup. I, I can't imagine this has happened. This will happen, but how has it gone down in the US? Um, yeah, it's been a surprising story. I think. Um uh, the players have tried to distance themselves from it. In fact, when they interviewed um, uh, Tim Ream and Walker Zimmerman, the, the two central defenders, they were made available to the media and were asked about it. Um, you know, they uh, they they were just saying it for us, the players, it's it's a non-issue. And and even uh, I, I think the the Iranian head coach is um, you know didn't even make that a the federation's one thing the iranian head coach has spent a lot of time in the united states he used to manage in the united states in mls carlos kirosh um you know i think it's a it's a hot button issue but you know unfortunately it brings more drama into a game that doesn't need any more drama there's plenty of drama on the line just on the pitch with these two teams. I mean, it's a winner-takes-all scenario, right? I mean, I think Iran can can get a draw and, and uh, progress, but the U.S. definitely need to beat Iran to, to get into the round of 16. That's correct, yes. Um, it, it, the U.S. needs to win, and um, you know, we'll see how that, if that means that uh, Iran, how Iran's going to come out. We don't know if they're going to you know, sit deep and try to bunker their way to a draw or if they're going to try to come out and then uh, maybe hit the U.S. unexpectedly. Not necessarily sure what their approach will be tomorrow, but, um, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, the U.S. has to find the back of the goal because they, they have, they only have one goal so far in the first two games. Yeah, and that's uh, been a disappointment. I mean, I, I guess if you do go out, you know, if this if you don't win this game, uh, it all all eyes will be back on the game one against Wales when you really dominated that opening forty five minutes and probably could have been two or three up at half time. Yeah, of course. You know, you, you you need to. There's only certain times during games when you're at your when you're at your best and when you're at your peak form and when you're at your peak form and when you're really firing on all, all cylinders. You you, you can't. You can't take your foot off the gas. You have to capitalize on those kind of chances because, as you learn in those in, over the course of 90 minutes, it's not always going to be that way. It's not going to be smooth sailing throughout a game. And but at the times when you are finding everything right going your way and clicking, you got to hit it. How important do you think it is from a United States point of view to get to the round of 16, given that you're hosting the next World Cup? Um, do you think it, it it will have any impact at all, or, or won't it matter in four years' time? I don't think it's necessarily going to matter in four years' time. I mean, these things have a limited short life in the memory of um, the sporting public. Uh, you know, I think it's going to be a different focus. I think the team's going to be very good in four years. A lot of these guys are all very young. I mean, 
think about this. I mean, the U.S. started three midfielders and three forwards in their games, and none of them have turned 25. So it's it's a big, it's a very young team. Uh, but I think in terms, of, in terms of what this team can learn from this experience, I think that's going to be the bigger step moving forward. And, and, and are they more mentally prepared for these types of tournaments? Um, but, yeah, I, I think obviously getting forward and out of this group will – so the public morale, I think, will be a nice big boost if they can do it. What are you expecting um, from Iran? Because coming into this, you know, the opening game of the tournament for them was against England. And I didn't, it's two o'clock in the morning here. I didn't bother getting up for that game because I thought that's going to be a grind. It'll be one England win 1 0 through a Harry Kane penalty in 79 minutes because Iran is so negative and Gareth Southgate so, uh, you know, conservative. Uh, it's not how that panned out, as we, we well know now. So, how much of Iran changed, do you think, in their approach? Uh, you know, it, it's a good point. I mean, I, I was very surprised that they got through with, with that Wales game, but you know, they were playing well even when they were had eleven. Even when Wales had eleven game uh, players on, um, when it was eleven v eleven, Iran was still the better team. Uh, but yeah, it just shows you, you, you know, you you know, games can get away from you quickly at the international stage. You know, you get one, you can get two, and you got then you can get three real quickly. Um, it, it's a you know the mental side of things can get the best of you. Uh, the truth is probably somewhere in between. Like they're they're not as bad as they were against uh, England, and probably not as good as they were at the end of the Wales game. But you know, uh, of course, everything changes when all you need is a draw. Um, you know, I, I think they're going to be looking in coming in this pretty defensive oriented. But then if the U.S. scores, things are going to change very very quickly. So we will see. Um, uh, we'll see how the U.S. players are prepared and how emotional this game is because there's a lot of things off the field between these two countries. Yeah, obviously that that adds to it. I mean, he, these two countries met in France in '98. I think Iran got out on top then. Um, so there is a little bit of history here. Given the way that it seems the Iranian players seem to be, uh, you know, pro the protests, uh, maybe that'll take the sting out of it. Do you think? You know, I think you know when you have troubles in your homeland, uh, or or you know, or concerns in your homeland. Um, it, it has a way of galvanizing these teams. Um, they can kind of play with a chip on the shoulder, us versus the world kind of a, of a, of a, of a mentality. And, you know, I've seen these things actually turn out to be like a net positive more than a net negative for, for teams. So uh, I'm expecting the best from Iran tomorrow. Um, I think uh, uh, they're going to want they, – they, they, they want to be the first uh, – they want to qualify for the knockout stages for the first time. Uh, in their country's history, they mean a lot, and I think they could. And I think they, they finally see that, you know, within the finishing line, they they see that as a real possibility. So, um, you know, they have a lot of motivation here too, and um, and, and we'll see. The U.S. is going to be able to uh, counter that with with the emotion of their own. If the U.S. get out of this group, they'll probably do it in second place, which. As things stand, you would expect means around a 16 match, probably with the Dutch. Uh, what have you made of that group um, with the Dutch, Ecuador, and Senegal, and of course the host Qatar? You know, I think uh, with the Dutch, you're always dealing with a lot of talent. You know, sometimes when they get to the World Cup, they can be their own worst enemy, and, and sometimes that uh, you know hurts them. Sometimes, uh, sometimes they're, when they're when they're focused, they, they can ride on their talent a lot. I haven't seen enough to know whether or not um, they are they're, what kind of shape they're in, what, what kind of Dutch side we're going to get uh, if the U.S. does get to face them. 
But, um, you know, I, I think it's when you get to the knockout stages, you're always expecting a very good team. And um, But uh, someone, uh, but it's a game I think that the U.S. team, if they're fired up for, I think, you know, and they're playing well, they can give any team a, a tough game. Looking from a CONCACAF point of view, it's, I guess, been reasonably disappointing so far. Uh, Mexico haven't looked anything like we, we expect them to. Um, I, I imagine that they'll be looking for a new coach post this tournament. The Canadians look good, took games to teams, but ended up just leaving themselves too open, and Costa Rica conceded seven against Spain. Um, how do you weigh up the, the CONCACAF on the world stage, yeah, given what we've seen so far? Um, it's different for different teams. I mean, you, you saw with Costa Rica beating Japan, uh, then it was, it was, um, uh, that was a tremendous result. Uh, Costa Rica is a very old team. I think Mexico brought a, brought a, you know, they didn't necessarily trust their youth in this tournament as much as the U S did. Uh, you know, I think it's different. Whereas like U S and Canada, I think they're learning lessons here that eventually, no matter how things turn out, they'll be better for, um, and I think, you know, many years down the road or a couple years down the road, you'll look back on what happened in Qatar as a, as a big benefit to both teams. Uh, for Mexico and, and Costa Rica, this is the last stand with a lot of the players that they have. Um, both these teams are probably going to need new coaches, uh, and, uh, and they're probably going to hope to, that the next generation brings some talent because they're going to need to start introducing it as soon as possible. Um, you know, so it's different for different teams. I wouldn't put too much stock into weighing the whole federation based on, on these results because yeah, they, they try to approach things in different ways. But, yeah, Mexico, it, it, it doesn't look really good right now. It looks like their streak of qualifying for the knockout runs uh, that goes all the way back to 1986, with the exception of 90 when they were suspended, is going to end. Yeah, looking very much like that. Uh, Brian, what about uh, overall, uh, this World Cup overall? I mean, you know, it's not been without its uh, critics for a lot of off-field reasons. Um, and now looking at games, you know, today Brazil-Switzerland, the, the stands didn't look overly overly full. What's your vibe on, on the World Cup and, and what's the buy-in with the American public on this World Cup? I think it's more it's far more negative than other World Cups the vibes I'm getting. I mean, no one likes these games in the middle of November, December, when you, you, you cut the season, European seasons in half. And, uh, you know, players didn't really, you don't get the send off vibe. You don't get the teams together for like almost a full month before the tournament. Uh, and they get to play teams game friendlies in their home countries before they send them off to the world cup. Um, you know, now all of a sudden, you know, you get players who are injured because club games ran right up into the world cup and they don't have time to get healthy. And then you have the second half of the club season waiting for them when they get back. Um, it's not the right time for a World Cup. It's not the right place for a World Cup um, with all these issues uh, surrounding the, this, pro, the, this, this tournament. And then you had Sepp Blatter come out and say this was a mistake uh, to bring it to Qatar. And it's like, well, thanks a lot, Sepp. You, you know, like, <laughs> where, where was FIFA this whole time? So, it, it, yeah, there's too much stuff um, – uh, it's not really growing the sport. You know, it's not in a traditional place. It's not where you can go to grow a sport. It, it, I, there's just not a lot you want to take from this and, and, and hope it replicates in future World Cups. Um, you're just trying to get through it um, uh, and then uh, and then move on. And all the games are really bunched up. I mean, the U.S. will play its third game in like in like nine days tomorrow, eight days, and then it could be the end of the World Cup for it. I mean, well, that was pretty quick, you know. So, I don't know. I think it's... Um, most of the, there's more negatives than positives 
with this World Cup, how, how it's viewed in the United States. Yeah, all right. Uh, in terms of the teams, then, uh, that you think might win this thing, um, Argentina, of course, lost that game to the Saudis. Japan beat the Germans. So there's a couple of you know teams that you expect to be in the latter stages who have, have already suffered upsets. How do you see this playing out, and who do you like? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I've been, I think... Spain could, you know, even though the, the Spain Spain could be there, I think I think Brazil could be there. Um, I think in the end of the day, it's going to be one of the teams that doesn't really surprise us a whole lot. A whole lot, um, but you know, even France, I think, is probably the favorites right now. If I was to bet anything, I think I think Brazil's a little too old, um, you know. But we'll see. Uh, yeah. So it would take a heck of an effort to beat France. Let me just put it that way. I, that that would take a big time effort just to just to be able to beat them. But then again, you never know. I mean, what happens if England gets hot? Um, you know, even though they drew the United States, uh, it's it's just so wide open. Yeah, yeah, I think it does. It feels very wide open. I mean, the French, for me, I mean, they've got a lot. They had injuries coming in, and then they've had more injuries at the tournament. It's just if they can keep their eleven yeah. fit, right? Yeah, it, it, it's funny. Is is like I've always said about France is, is like you can take, you can give the French manager, whoever, like the twenty six best players he wants, and then take like the next twenty six and still have an unbelievably good team. It's just, it's just the state of French football right now, um, and how good they are, and how regularly and easily they produce like so many world class players. Um, Again, it's. I still think that they're the team to beat, but I mean, you never know what kind. Of, I mean, there, there's some. It could come down to an individual moment of brilliance, though, and and you never know. A Spain or a Brazil could deliver that. Yeah, they could do. They could do. Hey, Brian, before we let you go, mate, there's a story that developed yesterday. Came through uh, suggesting that Inter Miami may have a deal in place with Lionel Messi after his contract with PSG expires. Um, Mm-hmm. A, how likely do you think that is? And B, how big for the MLS would it be? I mean, I think it's not done. I think it's bigger than most people have realized. I think there's, there's remember, in MLS, there are deep pockets um, with their ownership group, among the deepest in the world. So, you know, there, there are ways of making this happen. It's been talked about here for quite some time. As for how big it would be, I mean, it would be an enormous road draw. I mean, you get, like, a lot of people uh, filling up stadiums to come watch and play. But I think it's, uh, um, you know, it, 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 the league just doesn't want to go down the route where it's seen as a retirement league. It's fought so hard to, um, to beat that image. And I think, you know, because they do have a lot of good young players now. They, most of their good players come from – our younger players coming from South America – but I think, um, you know, obviously with a guy like Messi, is it's a, like a once-in-a-lifetime kind of a name you can bring into the league. You make exceptions for it to make that happen. Yeah, and more, and more likely to happen than Cristiano Ronaldo rolling up there, given that he's a free agent right now? I don't see that happening nearly, nearly as much as uh, Messi. I don't think that they would get both. I think um, there's some things with Cristiano that, that uh, would prevent that. Although... You know his, uh, you know his youngest kid, or um, is American, was born here. So there are maybe some 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 factors there. I just I there the, the chatter on that has not really been significant.
Mm. Yeah, good stuff, Brian. All right, let's really appreciate your time, man. Go well. Uh, enjoy. I know you're you're off to your kids' uh, soccer practice, so we'll let you go so you can enjoy that, man. Enjoy the rest of the tournament too. And uh, you know, who knows if you're in the last sixteen in the quarterfinal, we might we might call you again. Sounds good. Anytime you guys want. Cheers. Thanks very much, Brian. Brian Scarita there, a U.S. Uh, football journalist uh, out in New York, New Jersey, uh, giving us the lowdown from an American point of view. That big game tomorrow versus Iran is going to be a must-watch. That kicks off at 8 o'clock New Zealand time. It is 19 past 11 here on SCNZ. This is SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith, Ricardo in for Smithy though, uh, brought to you by Brad, your local John Deere equipment supplier and of course uh, World Cup football rolls on. We had another four games this morning and man there were some goals in this one starting with Cameroon versus Serbia. Now Maximovic to the back post, Mitrovic gets his head onto it and it's looped over the crossbar. The first good move for Serbia, passes infield to Mitrovic, back heel, back on through to Mitrovic, edge of the box, looks for a cross, fakes out one defender, left footed shot, hits the posts. Still alive here for Serbia, left edge of the area, the shot is blazed over the bar by Filip Kostic. Alexander Mitrovic, individual brilliance on the left flank here, Serbia, cross comes in and headed away and oh, they haven't cleared their lines, Cameroon, they made a blunder and it almost caught them. Alexander Mitrovic from about the penalty spot. Here you go Cameroon up the right sideline and a powerful shot unleashed by Pierre Koundé who was on a tight angle on the right edge of the area but he had to make the goalkeeper work. Koundé works it in back post and Cameroon they do score. Serbia have been made to pay for their errors. It's Jean-Charles Castelletto at the back post for Cameroon. The defender scores Cameroon's first goal at this 2022 World Cup. Been picked off by, by Koundé and now it's a break for Cameroon. Pierre Koundé to the box. Shoots off the goalkeeper. Back again. Koundé just missed the second time. Free kick for Tadic. To the edge of the box. And Serbia do have the goal. Strehanja Pavlovic. The defender getting forwards. Dusan Tadic found him. And Pavlovic nods at home. Past the goalkeeper to equalise before half-time. Zamboangisa has given it away poorly. Zivkovic on the right side of the box. Onto his left. Malinkovic. Savic! Oh, Sergei! Sergei Malinkovic Savic unleashes from the edge of the box. And from 1 0 down, Serbia scored two in two minutes. And they'll take the lead into half time. To the left for Kostic, squares it back inside. Milinkovic Savic lays it off. Shot comes in from Alexander Mitrovic. And the striker gets his goal. Alexander Mitrovic. Put Serbia 3-1 up. Abubakar's in behind the Serbian defence here. Flag stays down for now. Abubakar cuts it around one. Chips the goalkeeper. And Vincent Abubakar has his goal ruled out. Offside flag goes up as we expected, but the play went on. Ooh, oh, actually, you know what? what? Close. Wow, that's, very that's close. That is line ball offside. That oh, was a, oh it's a goal. Oh, Vincent Abubakar. You know what? He deserves that. <laughs> that was a great finish. And they've given it, so it's not offside. And now he's in behind the defence again. Vincent Abubakar. Trubo modding to his inside. Abubakar. Oh, it's game. It's tied all up. Eric Maxim Tripo-Motting has tied the game at 3-0 and Vincent Abubakar, the captain, has been the difference maker for Cameroon. Abubakar has taken up position on the flank, running diagonally into midfield. Abubakar takes a shot from a long way out and it's straight into the hands of the goalkeeper. Cross comes in from the right for Serbia. They're inside the box. Mitrovic just misses the target. Yeah, so there were six goals in that game. That was 11 o'clock last night. The 2 o'clock kickoff had South Korea taking on Ghana, and boy, there were more goals in this one.
like Sun Heung-min. Kudos is there as well. Sends it in. And it's a goal to Garner. Beautifully scored there by Salasu. And Salasu rose and headed it past the keeper. Party to Samed. Samed left side. Mensah. Here we go. Oh, glancing header. It's a goal. What a brilliant ball there by Jordan Ayew. And a glancing header from Kudus has put Garner 2-0 to the good. And they win it back. And there's the cross and there's the goal. What a brilliant substitution. Lee Kang Jin's cross was just impeccable. And Cho Gesung has got on the end of it. And the glancing header has beaten the Ghanaian goalkeeper. Down the left. Song Min. There's the cross. Back post and it's to all. Sensational. And Cho, I think he's got his brace. Yeah. On the back post. Mensah, there's the ball. Here's the shot. 3-2. Garner are back in front. And it's that man again. Kudus with it, brace. They still may get the third. They're inside the penalty area. It takes a deflection. It loops and it's cleared off the line. Kim Jin Su shot cleared off the line. And this is drama field here. Korea will remain on one. The ball comes in the area. There's a chance and it's blasted over there by Kim Jin Su. But the big one was that Son Hyun Min had an opportunity. The ball came his way. And he just couldn't collect it cleanly. There's a chance. Song Hyun Min. Shot blocked. Ricochets. Another shot is blocked. Plenty of bodies in the Ghana penalty area. Chips it in back post. Could this be it? Could this be it? Almost. Almost. They were scrambling on the goal line. And Cho, who's searching for his hat trick. Almost. Got the ball over the line. Almost, yeah. Ghana, three. South Korea, two. South Korea now have to beat Portugal in their last game to have any chance of making it out of the group. Uh, we'll give you the highlights from Brazil, Switzerland, and Portugal, Uruguay before midday. Right now, though, it is time to give us a call. 0800 150 0800 150 We have a $200 TAB bonus bet up for grabs for Stumped. We'll get to that right after the latest in sport with Araha. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Oh, yes, it's time to play Stumped here on SNZ Mornings with Ricardo Ball. Looking after things while Smithy is away doing cricket commentary. Of course, I think the uh, first test gets underway tomorrow, actually, in Perth. So that's going to be a big one. Australia v the West Indies, Ricardo. Yeah, looking forward to that. And uh, I wonder if we'll get Smithy, um, you know, giving us any any tunes amongst his commentary. Will I get him singing for his supper over there? Well, it depends. Is anyone from Fox Cricket either listening or, follow, or following at ACNZ Mornings or at ACNZ underscore radio? I guess we'll find out <laughs> uh, if it comes through. It didn't come from me, just so you know, Smithy. Uh, yeah, big one today, though, because we are playing for a $200 TAB bonus bet. That's what is up for grabs after Ricardo got three stumpings in a row. Can he make it four? We'll find out. But first, at the crease, we have Dean from Christchurch. Come in, mate. How are you? Good, mate. How are you doing? 
Oh, good man. It's a beautiful day in the Garden City. Hopefully it stays this way for tomorrow, but the forecast isn't looking too flash. Ah, that just, that's the story of this tour, isn't it? Yeah, the rain is just following uh, we'll, them around. Well, I know there's some uh, angry Indian fans out there that might not, but we'll see. All right, mate. Uh, have you played Stump before? I've listened to it, mate. So, yeah, um, I haven't played it, though. All right. So you know how it works? Yep. All right. So the categories you can choose from today are the Softball World Cup, the FIFA World Cup, or cricket. I'm going to take cricket. All right, good luck to you. Thank you. All right, first question for you, Dean. Who recently became the first ever cricketer to internationally take 300 test wickets, 200 ODI wickets, and 100 T20 wickets? Tim 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 That's a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Yeah, Tim Sally, Ricardo. Yeah, nicely done. Nicely done. Oh, who else? Who else? All right, second question for you, Dean. Who are the White Ferns playing in three ODIs and three T20s? Bang starting with Bang, Bang a couple of chips down the wicket. <laughs> All over it. All, All over it. Not like it round, Dean. way it goes. I like yeah. th- those game shows where uh, I think it's like the chase. We you're under the time pressure. And <laughs> <laughs> you know the answer before I've even finished the question. All right. We'll see, how, we'll see how you go for this last one, Dean. It might be a little bit tougher, but this is for a uh, $200 TAB bonus bet. Okay. Six countries have won both the men's ODI and T20 World Cups in their history. Australia, India, England, and the West Indies are four of them. Can you name the other two? Um, what did you say? Australia, West Indies. India and England. Uh, so one of them's got to be Pakistan. Um, oh, I can't, can't get the other one. Pakistan. Um, oh, you stumped me there. Uh, I know it's Pakistan. Um, uh, might, you, get, you might have to let this one go through the keeper, mate. Oh, man, it's going to go to Pakistan or one of them, but I can't pull the top of my head get the other one who's won the T20. Uh, I don't know. I can't get it off my top of my head. Okay, Ricardo? I think Pakistan is right. I also think the other one is Sri Lanka. That's the couple uh, of chips on the right in of the slot, course. and away it goes. Woo! 250. Woo! Whip those bales off. Whip those bales off. Unlucky, mate. You, you crank it along there, Dean, at a record pace. Oh, yeah. Just, you know, as soon as you said, like, as soon as you went over, I was like, oh, that's right, the Jinnarina Tonga, you know, like the 90. Yeah. Oh, oh mate. Hey, well done, boy. Well done, mate. Well done, well done to you, Dean. Two out of three ain't bad, but it's not good enough. Yeah, this, as meatloaf this, would sing. Exactly. This is stumped, not not the chase. So uh, un- unlucky to you, uh, Dean. Thanks for calling, mate, and uh, thank you for everyone else that tried to call through as well. But of course, two hundred and fifty tomorrow. Yeah, Ricardo. Yeah, so I told you. I wanted. We we talked about it yesterday. We we're trying to build to the weekend, see if we can get it all the way through to Friday. Hey, the way you're going, it might happen. Might happen. We'll have to see. We'll have to see. Uh, make sure you tune in tomorrow for Stumped. 250 TAB bonus bet up for grabs. When we come back, we'll bring you the coverage uh, highlights of Brazil versus Switzerland and Portugal-Uruguay from the FIFA World Cup.
17 away from midday here on Mornings with Ian Smith. Ricardo in for Smithy, brought to you by Brandt, your local John Deere equipment supplier. A few texts through on the Temper Bedpost text machine. Uh, perhaps all the Canterbury haters need to get over it and want the best person coaching the All Blacks, and that is Razor. Look at what Foster did before coaching the All Blacks. Nothing. We should let England have him. That's from Brian. And hi, Ricardo. Went to Rosedale Park last night for softball and just loved it. The Black Sox Argentina was sensational. First time being at a softball event live, and the wife enjoyed it as well. We'll probably go back. Cheers, Ken. Keep your texts rolling through on that one. Hey, if you're a uh, fan of Greyhound Racing, make sure you tune in at midday on Sunday for Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed Show. Mark Rosanowski, Dan Roberts, two blokes who... You basically, what they don't know about dog racing, you could write on the back of a postage stamp. Um, they will keep you right up to date with all the latest news and tips as well. That is Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed Midday on Sundays here on SENZ. Now, there were a couple of other games this morning we haven't managed to get to. One of those was Brazil, my favourites to take out the whole World Cup. No Neymar. Surprisingly, they played Manchester United midfield of Fred. Uh, rather than going to Gabriel Jesus and playing another attacking player against a very defensive Swiss side, and that's kind of how things played out. Militao out to Rafinha, shifts onto his left, cross back into Vinicius Jr., saved by Jan Sommer, who covered at the back posts. Lovely ball from Rafinha to Vinicius Jr. in space on the left, and then back around to Rafinha, takes a long shot. That's what we're talking about. Unleashed from distance, straight into the breadbasket of the goalkeeper. Oh, the lights have gone out. This is a new one. The, uh, it's another uh, corner oh, for Brazil, and the lights are back on. It's not like the days of old. You know, in the days of old, when the lights went out, it would take half an hour to get them back on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Bang, they're straight back on. Long diagonal ball out to the right to Vidmar. Takes a touch, gets across in, defended oh, on careful. the last line. Brazil haven't cleared their lines oh. yet. Now, eventually, they sort of do. It rolls away, but it will be picked up again by Switzerland, and it was a goal line interception. Brazil now attacking at their end. Out the left, Vinicius skips inside the area, oh, gets yeah, the ball. cross in. Looking for Richarlison, perfectly timed delivery from Vinicius on the outside of his right boot, swinging it in from the left, and Richarlison throwing himself at it, couldn't get on the end. Brazil attacking, attacking down in, the left, he's in. Vinicius he's gets in. goal side, Vinny Jr. Vinicius Jr. attacking the left side, getting inside the area, and Brazil's new gun, Vinny Jr. puts the Samba boys up 1-0. Oh no, it's not offside, is it? Checking for possible offside in the lead-up to the goal. Ah, goal's been given. The goal stands. No, it doesn't. Oh, disallowed. That signal is offside, my man. No goal. This is in the lead-up. I don't think this is Vinicius Jr. is offside. Out to the left of Vinicius. Shuffles onto his right foot. Squares it inside. Lovely touching. Ball oh, goal. Oh, what a goal. What a finish from Casemiro. That is Brazilian beauty. That is the beautiful game. Joga Bonito, Brazil. 1-0. Who's... There you go. That is uh, Brazil. You know, you got up 1-0 over the Swiss. They had a goal disallowed for a, a marginal offside as well. But, you know, I, I think they should, against the Swiss, they should have gone far more attacking than they did because uh, the, the Swiss were able to keep them out and played defensively. They didn't offer a lot going forward, the Swiss. Before we get to the uh, Portland Uruguay highlights, Ricardo, i, I got to know, surely you'd be happy to have a player from Manchester United featured in the World Cup? Oh, we've got plenty. 
We've got plenty. I mean, Casemiro's <laughs> in the Brazilian midfield as well. He won man of the match today. Bruno Fernandes in the Portuguese midfield won man of the match today. So there's plenty there. Um, Fred isn't a starter at Manchester United. He's not in the first 11. Um, so that's kind of why, like, Neymar is a creative player, right? He's your, your playmaker. He orchestrates everything. Mm. So that's why I thought, you know, Fred is not that sort of player. Right. You'd be better off. Richarlison can play that role as a 10. I thought they'd drop him in the hole, play the Neymar role, play Gabriel Jesus up front, and then it's far more attacking. So really, I think you're just trying to say uh, you're flexing here that Manchester United have some depth by the sounds of it. The other the other question I have for you, one thing that's kind of come out of this World Cup, of course, uh, Canada were the team that I drew in the office mm. sweepstakes after trading with uh, Manaya for Switzerland. Of course, Switzerland uh, doing a lot better. <laughs> Looking second, all right, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, second in their pool. But yeah, no, sure, that's fine. Uh, but a th- big thing to come out of here is the play of Tajan Buchanan. I'm seeing some questions now that potentially he could be the answer at right back for Man U. Yeah, which, uh, I mean, United do need depth at right back because um, uh, Juan Basaka, who is the who was the right back that they bought from Palace for about £50 million, uh, Ten Hag doesn't rate him. He hasn't, hasn't been playing at all. I know he's had an injury, but even when he was back from injury, he was uh, preferring Lindelof, who's more of a centre-back, at right back when Dallow wasn't fit, the Portuguese player. So we've only got one fit right back at the moment that Ten Hag likes, and that is Dallow. So they, they do need another right back. Could be, a, could be an option, could be a good fit. Yeah, I'd love to see it, mate. Yeah, I'd love to see it. All right. Uh, let's uh, get on to the uh, last game of the day. Kicked off at 8 o'clock. It's Portugal versus Uruguay. It was a game that I thought was going to be uh, tasty. It turned out to be that way. There were five cards in the game. I thought there could have been more. The referee handled the game very well. Let's see how it played out. Bent on court, driving through the heart of the field, through the centre circle, all the way. Oh, he's got it through. He's got it. Oh, what a save by Costa. That could have been the tournament he just kept going he going and going nothing could stop him until the portuguese keeper had seen enough he makes a sharp save banana silver away yeah it was neves's header silver drives fives joe felix shooting netting and at the back post pleading his case was bernardo sorry bruno fernandez screaming for the ball but joe felix never looked up diaz he goes down the line to another Man City player and another silver well, here we go play. and into the six yard box that's of Ronaldo back off the net side netting is Ronaldo another goal for the great man delightful ball in sweet run into the six yard box and he's tucked it away Portugal won Uruguay won Portugal could be on their way to the second round Maxi Gomez his first touch gives it back to Palestri. Back to Oh, there we go. Shooting. Oh, my God. Close. What a wonderful strike from just outside the area. Oh, he roars in frustration. And from nowhere, no back lift. Palestri links up with him. The ball bounces into his, foot, his path. Right foot from the edge of the D there. Away from the keeper. Hits the post and away. Portugal survive. Big threat there by Uruguay. Bruno Fernandes. He won the penalty. Rochette, can he come up big? In his 51st appearance for his country. Fewer bigger moments than this. He stands at the top of the area, staring nervously, full of concentration at the ball. Only eyes on the ball. The right footer approaches. Stutter step at the top, takes a jump. Coolly, calmly, sends the keeper to his left and tucks it away to the other corner and nestles it 
into the back of the net and Portugal book your ticket to the second round. Yeah, Portugal definitely through to the second round. It's just a matter of who will join them. Uh, it looks like all to do for Uruguay and uh, South Korea. South Korea have to play Portugal. They only have one point from two games so far. I doubt that we'll see them. Uh, but Ghana, they're in the box seat at the moment. But if Uruguay can beat them, they can sneak through. So we'll just have to see how they go. Um, and uh, Chris has texted through saying, I don't think that Darwin Nunez is as good as Liverpool fans claim he is. Well, yeah, he's part of that Uruguayan team. Hasn't really shone at this World Cup. We'll have to see on that one, Chris. Uh, let's have a look at the games that are coming up tomorrow morning. Uh, there are no 11 o'clock kickoffs because the group stages, uh, the two games of the two final games always kick off at the same time. So there can be no collusion on uh, a result to help teams get through. Uh, Ecuador, Senegal. That is one of those games that will decide second place probably in this group. Ecuador favourites at 240, Senegal 310, the draw 310. I would back Ecuador on this. They probably deserve to beat the Dutch, to be fair. Uh, and the Dutch got a draw in that game. So Ecuador looked good for me. Uh, I think uh, the Dutch versus Qatar, well, that's a no-brainer. Qatar have been awful at this World Cup, the worst hosts ever, uh, not just off the pitch, but also on it. The Dutch are paying $1.17, Qatar $15, the draw six fifty, and there was that boosted option that TAB had. Netherlands to lead at halftime and win to nil, two seventy-five. I'd definitely look at that if you're looking uh, to get on this game. Iran versus the USA is an interesting one because the market, is skewed heavily in the USA's favour. They're paying a dollar ninety-one. Iran four dollars. The draw three thirty. Remember, Iran only need a draw to progress because they beaten Wales. The US have had two draws. I like Iran in that because the US are going to have to push uh, to get a win in that game. I think they could leave themselves open, and the Iranians look good on the counter. So uh, there could be some value in that one. And finally, England versus Wales. Uh, England massive favourites here. The Welsh all but out of the World Cup. It'd be a massive upset if Wales get up in this game. England are a dollar four favourites and uh, probably leave it there. England win and over three and a half goals in the match, 4.25. Looks like it could be a possibility for me. It is seven away from midday. Staff's in next. Couple of minutes away from midday, which means Staff's in. Surely, how are you doing, Staff? Good, buddy. That's I'm a, very good. That's a story, mate. Now, Logan had a question for you. Well, Logan, you, oh, you were desperate that you wanted to ask Staff's question. This feels like a hijacking. It, it is it's not at all. I'm just curious. Do you have Pierce Morgan on your show today? Uh, look, he was a bit busy today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was funny last night. That was funny last night. So let us in. Let us in on the gag. Um, I'm just going to try and quickly find it for you. So yep. he, he tweeted out uh, in 2015, mm-hmm. Russia and Qatar must have their World Cups removed. Both bids mired in sleaze and corruption via Blatter and his FIFA cronies. Yesterday, he tweeted, amazing ratings for the FIFA World Cup. I'm proud to be a part of the Fox soccer team in (laughs) Qatar. (laughs) So I just aligned the two tweets and called him a bit of a clown. Yeah, no, fair enough. Fair Mm. enough. He is a bit of a clown. A plum, I would describe But my goal was for him to block me, and it hasn't happened. Hasn't happened yet? No. You've got to go a bit harder to get him to block you, obviously. Yeah. 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 What do you got coming up on the show today? Um, Other than Piers. Uh, what have we got coming up? Well, Midday Madness, mm-hmm. I'm flogging this off something else off Twitter. Uh, someone posted, actually the Rugby Network who we're doing a bit of work with, they just 
pose the question, who's the greatest scrummager of all time? Mm, okay. So we're going to do that for Midday Madness. And then after the one o'clock news, Mike Cron, uh, the All Blacks front row guru, who also stepped in and helped out the Black Ferns. Also going to uh, link up with Bruce Young, uh, uh, reviewing the year that the New Zealand golfers have had mm-hmm. as all of those tours have come to an end. Reese Casely, former captain of the Black Sox, will join us across the ditch with Jimmy Smith. And we've got our draft day Tuesday today. Top five of something. Okay. What is it? You don't know yet? Sam doesn't tell me. Oh, I see. He surprises me. All so right. we pick we pick five each and people vote who's got the best five. All right, good stuff. That is Midday Madness after this.